right, good morning. How's it going? So good, man. Yeah, back at you. I like it. Love you guys. It's so good to have you here today. Desperation is officially underway. And man, last night, I told David Perkins, I'm never, ever going to follow David Perkins again. That, that, that will change. I mean, he, that was such a good message. And that message of Send the Hill, I watched it. I was watching it live online because I had some friends at my house. But we watched it and said, you know, that, that's a message for every person. Young, old, everybody. And that was, what a great word. Can we just honor that today? That was a, such a good word last night. So this morning, uh, I wanna, how many of you went to bed early last night because you knew I was speaking this morning and you wanted to be at the top of your game? Okay, about six of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I mean, what I mean by early is less, you went to bed before 2 a.m. Raise your hand. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. Awesome. That's early on Desperation Night, all right? All right, I want you, how many of you brought a Bible? Did you bring your Bible? All right, awesome. Open them up to James chapter 1. And if you want to like get a head start on me, I'm going to end up in, uh, in Proverbs as well. So we're going to be all throughout the book of Proverbs, but we're also going to be in James chapter tw- uh, 1 right off the bat. Now this morning, what I want to talk to you about is uh, if I had to narrow down what is my life message, a message... I'm in my 40s now, and I know that's shocking to all of you. I know you look no, no older than 36, but, uh, but I'm in my 40s now. So, um, so I've, there are things that have been given to me, deposited in me over this walk that I've had with Jesus. But I want to tell you about a, a, something that I wrestled with when I was about 19 years old, about your age, not much older than many of you. I was 19 years old. I was raised in a, uh, a home. I was, I'm from Louisiana. Any Louisiana peeps here today? Yeah? Awesome. By the way, have you noticed the, the fascination the world has with Louisiana, all the reality shows? You know, Swamp People? I mean, you got, you got any Swamp People fans in here? I mean, it, it, that's, a cool, that's a great show. It always ends uh, the, the same way. The, the gator gets shot in the head. I mean, they, they don't ever mix it up. You know, just, anyway, my, my little girl and I watch Swamp People all the time. And then there's another one called Duck Dynasty. Anybody watch Duck Dynasty? All right, now here, if you want to get to know me as, as a person, that's actually about... 30 miles from my hometown. Those are my relatives, not literally, but really. That's who, that's the way I grew up. You know, beards, guns, stuff, you know, making duck calls. And then there's, I think there's Cajun Pond Stars or something else. There's another one. I don't watch that one, but Duck Dynasty and Swamp People, if you want to get to know uh, my redneck background, that's it. All right. That, that's who I is. All right. So, but what, when I was 19 years old, um, it was really at, not at a desperation event, but really in my own time with God, I began to feel this, this quickening, this awakening to my need for God. The problem was, I'm, I'm grateful from the heritage that I grew up in. My mom, my mom especially was this, this woman who prayed. My mom knew how to pray. My mom, I would, in fact, I would wake up every morning. My mom was a very early rise, like 5.30, a.m., and I would hear her in our small home, because our house was not very big, I could hear what was going on in the living room early in the morning, and my mom was such a passionate woman of prayer, and I would hear my name getting called out a lot, you know, you know, praying for me very specifically, and I was so shocked at how much she knew what was going on in my life, because I thought I'd hidden it so well, but I, I didn't. Anyway, so she's praying out these prayers. And I grew up in a church where we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, every time anything happened, we were always in the church, but I, but I rebelled early on. And I, and I look back now and I think I realize why I rebelled against it. 
And and maybe there's some of you here today uh, that are wrestling with what it means to follow God. I think think the reason that I walked away from this gospel that I was hearing and didn't embrace it the way I've embraced it now because there was a big hole in the gospel that I was hearing. There was this gaping thing in, in the gospel that I would never heard about. And once I heard it, once I discovered it, I have from that point on decided to follow Jesus with all my heart. I've never looked back. I've never looked back on following Jesus, never regretted my, the, the decision that I made to follow Jesus. But it wasn't until I found this gaping place, that, that a hole in the gospel, that I was missing. Nobody ever told me about it. And, and in fact, I, I was uh, recently, and, and by the way, this gospel this, with the big gaping hole is still being preached today by youth pastors all over the country. One of the most famous youth pastors, he's actually spoken at Desperation before, not recently, but before. And, and if I said his name, almost all of you would know him. He, on his Twitter account not recently, he said, uh, notice to every youth pastor, every time you preach, you need to mention three things, Jesus, heaven, and hell. Well, I, before you think I'm a heretic, I believe in Jesus. I follow him. I am a follower of Jesus. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I do. None of the, and none of those things are wrong. If you're preaching sermons on Jesus, heaven, and hell, there's nothing wrong with those three topics at all, especially Jesus. But, there is, but he's leaving out because he said, every time you preach, mention these three things. I think every time you preach, we should mention Jesus. We should, in fact, Jesus should be the focus, the center of everything we talk about. Every, every pastor, every conversation, every sermon, the focus should be Jesus. I don't mind at all unpacking the scriptures to talk about what it means to, to live forever and ever in the glory and the presence of God in heaven. I'm okay with unpacking the scriptures, teaching what it means to, to not follow God and find yourself away from God in a place that we make all Gehenna or Hades or hell. I'm okay with that. Those are, those are all powerful messages. But if that's all we're preaching, we're leaving this big gaping hole in the gospel. When Paul and Peter and John... I think we would all agree that the Apostle Paul and Peter and John were the three great communicators, evangelists, prophets of the New Testament. Would you agree with that? That Paul and Peter and John, and maybe throw in James there, all of them were prolific pastors, preachers, church planters, full of the Holy Spirit. We read their stories all the time in the book of Acts and and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and the book of Revelation. All of their teachings have been the center point of our our churches for decades, for millennia, and we are all very grateful. Can I tell you what they preached when they preached the gospel? They preached Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They certainly talk time to time about heaven and hell, but their primary message was this. Jesus died. Jesus is alive. He is now resurrected. He is at the right hand of God, the father. And you right now today can know this resurrected Jesus. This Jesus that we once knew and walked with is now alive at the right hand of God, his father, and he is speaking to me and he can speak to you. I know him today. You can know him today. And if you believe that it'll change the way you live out your life on this earth. 
And after you've lived out a full, rich life on the earth, yes, there are rewards in heaven and consequences in hell. But, and they would mention that. But the core of their message was this. Christ is resurrected. He now lives in me. And because he lives in me, I am on this earth for a very defined purpose. I matter right now. See, what happens over the last 40 or 50 years, especially in the circles where I grew up in, we created what I call a bunch of bus stop Christians. Get them saved and get them to the bus stop to wait on heaven. What about now? You know, when I, when I really gave my life to Christ, I was about 19 years old. And I'm thinking, you know, if I don't eat as much fried food as I used to, I might live till I'm 70 or 80. What, what am I supposed to do now for the next 60 years, 70 years? Obviously, I've not given up on the fried food, as you can tell. But, uh, but the point is, what was I supposed to do with that? Here's what I heard. I don't know if they meant to tell me this, but what, this is what I heard from pastors and leaders. Brady, here's what you're supposed to do now. Be as good as possible. Don't, don't do bad things as ba- like you used to. Well, okay, that makes sense, and I agree with that. Okay, I can, all right. Is there anything else I'm supposed to do until the bus shows up? Well, pray and uh, read the Bible, but it always, it always came back to this. Be good. Well, what does that mean to be good? Okay, well, don't, don't say bad words. Uh, be, uh, be sexually pure. Um, don't steal stuff. Don't watch Duck Dynasty. Um, what does all that mean? And I wrestle with this. I said, is this it? Is this the adventure that God's called me into? Is this the grand adventure just to wait at a bus stop? Have you ever waited at a bus stop? That's not adventure. It's waiting at a bus stop. And I'm thinking, it's, it's, okay, I gotta, not, not only do I have to wait at a bus stop for heaven one day, I, I got to be good while I'm there. I mean, it's, at least when you get bored, I might be naughty or something and kind of break it up the monotony. But I didn't even have that option. I got to wait at a bus stop and be good. That's what I heard from the gospel. Now, maybe I wasn't hearing it right, but I think that's what some of you are hearing. Say yes to Jesus and wait for heaven. Is there anything more to this then? Well, I'm going to read a scripture to you that when I read it, and I, I'll almost, I, I remember reading it, and I read it in the King James Version the first time, and I haven't done that since, but uh, I read it the first time in the King, because that's the Bible my mom had. I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV. This is James chapter 1, and it's verse uh, 26, or, or verse 27. It says, religion that God our Father ex- accepts as pure and faultless. Now, when I heard that, man, my eyes and ears came alive as a 19 year old. I'm thinking, all right, this is, this is got this is going to be helpful to me because this doesn't sound like waiting at a bus stop. So religion that God, our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see the desperation vow is there, right? Consecration, keeping yourself pure and holy. All of that is true. So I wasn't making fun of the fact that I was supposed to be good and do better. I know all those things. Good behavior is better than bad behavior. Good choices lead to blessings. Bad choices don't. don't. And I know all of that. But there had to be a mission involved in order to motivate me to live like that. I've got to be living for something bigger than just myself or I will fail myself. Please, please listen to what I just said. That was really weighty. If you're only living for yourself, you will fail yourself. 
We have to find something bigger than just ourselves to live for, or we will fail miserably trying to please ourselves. And if all you're doing for God is just trying to be good, listen, I, good luck for, with that, all right? God bless you with that. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you why I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years. I've been married to the same woman for 23 years. And while I have stumbled and fell along the way, I've kept myself at a place where God can use me because of this huge, giant mission and calling that I've felt on my life at 19 years old to look after the widows and the orphans. So Pam and I, we got married. I was 22 years old when I got married. Pam was 21. And right away as a young married couple, we started asking ourselves these questions. What is this about? We, we, you know, we, we, were, we, we, we were married. We were in church. And we lived in a city. We lived in a, t- a little town called Shreveport, Louisiana. And at the time, the city where I was living had the highest per capita murder rate in the entire country. Uh, more than Chicago, more than New York City, more than L.A., per capita, I'm talking about. There were more murders in this little town than anywhere in America. And I, I went to my pastor and I said, what can I do? And he said, what do you mean? I said, we were living in a violent city. People are being terrorized here. What, what can I do? And he and I in a little coffee shop, I'll never forget, a little bit of coffee shop there off of a King's Highway in Shreveport, Louisiana. We said, in fact, today uh, we sat down at this table and he wrote out on a napkin of something that God had been speaking to him. I still have that napkin today, 23 years later. That napkin is still in our family Bible in our living room. And what he wrote down was a very simple strategy of getting to know the people in the worst neighborhoods in our city. And I said to him, I want a street full of widows. And he gave me a, a street called Abbey Street. And so every Saturday morning, my wife and I would get up and pray together and we would get in our car and we would go down to Abbey Street and always really one of the first houses we would stop at was a lady named Miss White. Now I want to show you, this is just a few weeks ago, we went back to her neighborhood. She's been, she's been dead now for almost 10 years, but I want to show you a picture of her house. This is a picture of the house. Can we pull that up? Okay. This is Miss White's house. So leave it there for a minute. And I was so heartbroken by her home because her home, she used to, she was a, in her 80s when we first met her, Miss White and her husband, Mr. and Ms. White, were people that their house was spotless, their yard was spotless, and that was a crime-ridden neighborhood. And the reason that we went in there on Saturday mornings at around 9 o'clock is because all the old widows were up, all the gangbangers didn't get up till after lunch. And so we were there, it was a, you know, we, I want to tell you how brave we were, but we also were smart. And so we, you know, all the widows were up at 7, 8 a.m. So we would arrive at her front porch and she would always be waiting on us. Cold, windy, rainy, didn't matter. She was waiting on her front porch. You can see that door right there in between those two. She was always waiting there for us, her and her husband. Her husband died just a few months after we started visiting her. In fact, her husband, I did his funeral. I was the pastor of his funeral. My wife and I were the only two white people in the whole church. And he asked me, and so my wife, who's very fair complexed, was very easy to find out in the congregation, but she, but we, there was hundreds of people there. He was a deacon at his church and I was a speaker at his, at his funeral, one of the speakers. And I'll never forget. We had homemade fried chicken down in the basement after his funeral. It was one of the best I've ever had in my life. All right. So that, so that is their home. Let me show you the next picture. Cause this is their neighborhood. This is a street. This is Abbey street. And you can see how the houses are old. Everything's broken down. The sidewalks are cracking. So Pam and I would go to Mr. and Ms. Ms. White's house and then we'd walk down that street. You can see how we'd walk all the way down. Then we'd cut across the street where it came to the stop and walk back down the other side. Almost every home was full of widows, just ladies. And they would all, they all kind of knew when we would arrive and they were all standing out on the front porch 
something in their hand, like cookies or food. Because in the South, everybody cooks for their guests. And so we were just stuffed full after about three hours there. We never had to eat lunch on Saturday because we, all these widows would wait for us. We did that every Saturday morning for four years. And the only reason we stopped is because I got a job in Amarillo, Texas, and we had to move away from the town. And one of the most difficult things we have ever done in my life. I have had to leave churches before and say goodbye to people at churches. I've had to say goodbye to people at jobs where I've once worked. The hardest goodbyes of my life were saying goodbye to those widows. It was, it was, it was, um, it was awful. I had, to, I had to go tell them we're, we're moving. We're, le- we're moving to another state even from Louisiana to Texas. And we had to say goodbye to all our little sweet widows. For four years, let me tell you what happened in our heart. James 127, even today, radiates from me. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Take care of the widows and the orphans in their distress. And keep your own heart pure. That's it. Some of you, I, mean, I, I talk with young people all the time, high school, college students, and the big wrestling match that's going on in all of you is like, what's my life mean? What am I supposed to do with my life? You know, what's the calling on my life? I just read it out to you. And until you find something else, do that. And you don't, here's the good news. You don't need an advanced college degree to go and hang out with little widows in your neighborhood. By the way, most all of your apartment complexes, almost all of your neighborhoods are full of widows and orphans. They are, they're there. They live right around from, they just want somebody to talk to. They're there. And it's the heart of God. This is what I'm about to read to you is absolute truth. God defends widows and orphans. And because God defends widows and orphans, our calling as Christ's followers are to defend widows and orphans. I'm going to read to you Psalm 68. Last night, y'all, re- y'all sang this song out loud. John Egan wrote a song called Strong God. One of my favorites, one of my three or four favorite songs on the planet right now. You sang it last night. At the end of the message, he came back up and sang this song. He wrote that song because I, I tweeted Psalm 68 one day on my Twitter account. I, I, I put this scripture on Twitter because it was wrecking my heart one day in my quiet time. And I put it on my Twitter account. John Reddick wrote the song y'all sang last night because of this scripture. And I haven't gotten any royalties at all from that. I'm still waiting on that first check. I won't get any. I don't think will I, David? No. Good. Psalm 68, verse 5. I want you to listen to this. Listen very carefully to what David is saying here. A father to the fatherless. Father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. A father to the fatherless. That sounds like an orphan to me, doesn't it? A fatherless person is an orphan. He's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. And in Proverbs chapter 23, it gets even a little more intense and a little more intentional. It says, do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. In other words, don't ever in any way, in any shape or form, take advantage of someone who is fatherless or widowed. For their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. This is a good way to get God upset with us. And by the way, 
the early church caught this. I mean, so I just read something out of Psalms and I just read something out of Proverbs. So the early church fathers immediately knew that this was a big deal to God. They were all students of the Psalms and students of the Proverbs. So one of their first missions was to take care of widows. You know, in Acts chapter six, the first real church fight that happened was because some of the widows weren't getting taken care of because the church understood if we're going to do what God's called us to do, if our primary mission is widows and orphans, they're widows and orphans. So in the world in which they were living, Roman dominated military. So the military was Roman dominated. The culture was Greek. Both the Romans are the Greeks, who were the dominant cultures of the day when Jesus was on the earth, had very low opinions of human, humanity. If you were a widow, if your husband were to die, let's say he was working somewhere and had an accident, and he'd left you a widow, you were to fend for yourself. You know what happened to most widows in the Roman Greek world? They either died of starvation, worked multiple jobs and died very young, or became prostitutes. Those were your options. Starve to death, work until you died, work yourself to death, or become a prostitute to support your family. There was no such thing as government agencies or social things to help, help out a widow. For you to be a widow was a death sentence. And for you to be an orphan was even worse. The Romans were notorious for getting rid of little girls. In the Roman world, little girls were liabilities. Most Roman families didn't want more than one girl. And so it was no big deal. Nobody even cared if you had three or four girls and threw them all in the river. Nobody even cared. There was no outcry. Nobody, nobody, uh, it was on, not on the front page of the paper. It was, it was a thing that everybody nodded at and understood. Infanticide was as common as us throwing away stuff in a recycle bin. Little girls were an economic liability. To have one, fine. To have more than one is an economic liability. Boys, on the other hand, were treated as kings. Women were treated as property. And for you to find yourself as a little girl on the streets, you were treated like an animal, property, this is, this is the reality of when Jesus was walking around Jerusalem and when Jesus was walking around his day, there were widows everywhere. Nobody was caring for them. The orphans that he, he would see, nobody was taking care of them. In fact, all of the nursing homes that we have today, all of the hospitals, the children's hospitals that we have today, all of the orphanages that we have today, the ones that we're building right now, we just built one in Myanmar this, a few weeks ago. We built it and funded it. And we're going to build hundreds more. We're announcing this Sunday at New Life that we're about to do our first dream center in Swaziland. We are super serious here as a church about taking care of the widows and the orphans. It is front and center. But all of those things, orphanages, hospitals, nursing homes, there was no such thing in the days of Jesus. And, and the reason we have any of those things today is because of the influence of Jesus. Don't let anybody tell you any other difference. There were no such thing as nursing homes, hospitals, and orphanages until Jesus came to the earth. He's the best thing that's ever happened to widows and the orphans and the poor. To look, notice what Jesus even was thinking about on the cross. This is one of my favorite stories. I mean, one of the most compelling things that I've ever seen in John chapter 19, Jesus, in verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. Now he's talking about John. John, the, the, the disciple, the apostle John is standing there watching Jesus die on the cross. And Jesus looks down at John and says, John, take my mom. And he said, here, and he said to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on. Now, this is one of the last things Jesus is doing. He's hanging on the cross in excruciating pain, life ebbing out of his body. He's about to go. He's about to die. And he looks down and he goes, hey, John, take care of my mom. Why did he say that? We don't, the scriptures do not tell us this. Church history does. Joseph was dead. Joseph, the father of Jesus died sometimes when Jesus was a teenager. Mary, as you know, and obviously Jesus was the oldest son, right? And Jesus had brothers and sisters. Some of them probably in their teenage years at that point. Some of them a little older. But Jesus was about to leave behind a widow and a single mom. And one of the last things he says while on the cross is, hey, John... Make this your primary mission. That's your mother now. And mom, he is your son. Sometimes this summer, we're about to purchase an apartment complex here for homeless single moms. And we're calling it Mary's house in honor of the most famous single mom in scripture. Mary's house will be a a place where ladies, women who are living and their car right now with their kids near a park in our city can come and live for two to three years and get help and healing and care so that they can go from thriving to surviving. That's going to happen in our church in the next few weeks. I want, I want to give you three really quick things this morning because I want you to walk out of here I, I feel today that there's going to be a, like, like, like it happened in me when I was 19 years old. God awakened me to something that I have not been able to shake for 20 years. And it happened when I was 19. And I'm going to give you something this morning that I believe for many of you, there's going to be an awakening in your heart that you will never be able to shake for the rest of your life. I think this is going to be so encouraging that Christianity is not just about waiting at the bus stop. That following Jesus is a great adventure and there is a real mission with a real need, with real human faces that will drive you and motivate you to live the pure life that we're talking about, to pray like we're praying. Pastor David and I have talked for a few years now that we've watched even the desperation movement become a movement that includes the widow and the orphan. If you had come here seven or eight years ago, it would have been near the emphasis on widows and orphans as you hear today. And I think that's natural and normal. There was nothing wrong going on back then. The point is, the more you pray, the more you seek God... Something happens. You begin to grow legs and arms and feet, spiritual hands, spiritual feet. Every great missions movement in the history of the world started as a great prayer movement. And so the core of what we do here will always be prayer and worship in the scriptures. But this is, this is exactly what should happen when a group of people come together year after year, month after month, and praying together and seeking God together. Something happens in our heart. We begin to see people the way God sees people. And we, our hands and our feet begin to matter. And we, then we decide, I'll go then, Lord. If, that, if people mean that much to you, God, then I'll go and be your voice. I'll go and be your hands. I'll go and be your feet. That's what's happening right now. 
The reason we're passionate, we're not just holding up compassion kids' faces because, uh, you know, we, we, need, we needed some space to fill. These are, these are human beings. We, we sponsor two kids from Compassion. Nancy and Kevin are on our refrigerator door. We get letters from them all the time. We're going to go see them next year. Maybe next year's Compa- uh, Desperation I'll show. The, I'll do the video. I'm going to meet Nancy and Kevin for the first time in, in the next several months. We've been supporting them for five years now. And have watched them grow up. They're the same age as my two kids. They're 13 and 11 like my kids. And watching them grow up and seeing the, their, their responses and watching their faces. They're, they're human beings that needed somebody to love them. Somebody just to give them a hand up. So here's what you can do today, okay? I'm going to give you three things that all of us can do. This does, none of these things, by the way, require a college degree or any specialized training. It just requires a broken heart. Now, please hear what I just said. I'm going to give you three things. And all this requires is a broken heart. Because we can all dismiss the poor. I've heard pastors, you know, even use Jesus' words. Hey, you'll always have the poor among you. That's not what Jesus, Jesus didn't say to ignore them. He just said, listen, do what you can. The poor will always be among you, but make sure that you are attentive. Here's the first thing that the poor need us to do. Widows and orphans, they need to do, for us to do three things. Number one, we need to listen to them. This, this does not require a great deal of skill, but they need us to listen. Proverbs 21, 13 says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Did you, did you, did you hear that? How sobering that is? Please pay attention to what I just read that. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Let me ask you a question. What's happening with the poor people of your community? Do you know? Are you listening? In the first three years that I was the pastor here, I spent hundreds of hours meeting with local officials, city, government, military, whoever would meet with me. And my question was, by very simple questions from, right? You need to write these questions down. Go back to your city and meet with your mayor, meet with your city councilman, meet with your sheriff's department, meet with your social workers and ask them these two questions. What are the pain or what are the places of pain in our city? What, what's happening in our city right now that's causing pain in people's lives? Embrace yourself for what you're going to hear. It will be shocking what you're going to hear back probably. Where are the places of pain in the city? All right, here's the second question because this is important. Of those places of pain, what are the areas that are not being served? Now, listen, you know why you're asking that question? Because you're about to find out your calling. You're about to find out your assignment by asking the second question. Where are the, what places of pain? Where, what are the places of pain in my city? Number two, of, the, of those places of pain, what's not being served? When people come to me and say, hey, Pastor Ray, would you pray with me about the will of God? I'll pray with you. But let me tell you what you're going to find. Find the places of pain that are not being served, and that's your calling, probably. Go do it. Why would you look for something else? <laughs> Go serve there. Now, listen, I, I, I didn't become a full-time social worker. I didn't become a full-time community advocate because I started visiting those widows when I was 20 years old. What I did discover while I was visiting the widows is that I'm a pastor. 
I didn't know that I was a pastor. I wasn't, I, I didn't know that until I started visiting the widows. And then I realized I like being a pastor. Here's what happens when you, be, when you start serving the poor, when you start caring for the things that God cares about, all those other giftings and callings that you're, you're wrestling with right now, that you're losing sleep over, all of that will come to pass once you get busy with this. I thought I'd get a bigger cheer there than that, but I, that, that, I thought that was a, that's a pretty big question. And I know I'm being, I know I'm being strong with you today. I'm just saying, I'm trying to help you today. Quit wrestling with your calling on your life. Just go start serving. Where are the places of pain in my city? What places of pain are not being served well? That's what you should start serving. That's what your youth group should be rallying around right now. That's what your church should be focused on right now. That's where your money should be going. That's where your time should be going. That's where your prayers should be going. We have to listen to them. Just, just listen and ask the questions and then listen. Here's number two, though. We've got to listen to them. And number two, we have to respond to them. Proverbs 19, 17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Now, people that are, uh, some of my elders and leaders always cringe when I tell this story. That's all right. I, I, uh, we opened a dream center, a, a women's medical clinic about this time a year ago, about a year, a year ago. And this past week we saw our 900th patient, 900 women in our city have gotten absolutely free state of the art medical care in our city since July of last year. I'm grateful for that. And we've seen those 900 women, many of them multiple times. So 900 unique clients. Many of them multiple times. We've diagnosed cancer. We've saved their lives. We, many of the women have chosen to keep their baby because we got a $35,000 sonogram machine given to us by Focus on the Family. And so we're, we're actually showed it, showing women their babies. Uh, young single moms are walking in there looking for an abortion clinic. They find life and hope and health. And now we have babies that are alive in our city today because they're getting to see life inside their womb. That, that medical clinic uh, was not cheap. It's, you know, anything you do in the medical world is not going to be cheap. It cost us about $15,000 a month to operate that. Let me just say this to you. Okay, I've, I've taken up one offering, and it wasn't even a great offering. It was a lousy offering. I took up one, I've taken up one offering in a year. We have completely funded it with one offering. We haven't had to do any bake sales, car washes. I haven't had to sit in any Dunkin' booths. We funded it out of the generosity of people's hearts and from sources that we didn't even imagine. We, we, we had no private, uh, it's been all private donor. We, we don't have any uh, big uh, foundations that have given us any money, none, nothing. And I am, I, I'm as stunned by that and that I'm not because this scripture says, if you are kind to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. I believe the reason many of the local churches are struggling financially, and by the way, we're not robust either. We're month to month like everybody else in a down economy, but we've always had enough at New Life because I am convinced, it is because we've decided as a church, we're going to serve our city and not be a slave to debt. We're going to be a servants to the city and not slaves to debt. And, And when you are purposeful about taking care of the poor in your city, heaven will open over your life. And you'll always have enough. We have to listen, but then we have to respond. We have to do something, even if it's a small something. 
Here's the third thing. We've got to listen to them. We've got to respond to them. And we have to give them a voice. Uh, this is one, this is a chilling scripture to me. Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. This is verse 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up. Speak up. And judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Stand up for them. Defend them. Speak up. And every, and it's happening right now all over the world, in every war and in every famine around the world, the two groups of people that get destroyed and hurt the most are widows and orphans. Anytime you're reading or listening news reports of wars or famines, pestilence around the world, it's always the widows and the orphans who are hurting the most. And I, I'll tell you what happens, and I'm like you, I'm, I'm a news junkie, you know, I read the news and look at the news and follow the news. And it's because it's wave after wave of bad news, sometimes as Western people, as American people, we get callous and, and we stop caring. Please, can I, can I ask you something this morning? Don't ever let your heart get hardened. Don't ever let your heart get calloused. When was the last time you heard of the plight of the widow and the orphan and it broke you on the inside? When was the last time you were moved with compassion and tears and, and there was something inside of you that says, I, I can't solve that big problem. I can't stop the war in that country, but I can speak up. I can pray. I can get involved. I can take one of those orphans or me and my friends, like David said, me and my friends, maybe five of us, can we take one child? Is it, is one child, does one child matter? Yes. One child. You can do that. We can all do that. Well, my prayer this morning is that something awakens inside of us. You are the answer. You are the church. You're powerful. You're, with social media at our disposal right now, with our ability to communicate literally with thousands of people instantly, all of you have that ability. 20 years ago, only a handful of people in the world had that ability. Today, we all have that ability to speak up, to say something. To bring awareness. We all have power through technology, power through God to speak up, to listen, to be a voice. Don't, don't let your heart get calloused. Keep that tender spirit. Keep that broken spirit and God will lead you and direct you and put you in a place of serving. You'll always have ministry to do. You'll always have resources to do that ministry. And most importantly, please listen to me, you'll always have passion for the kingdom of God. It's that passion in me. Listen, I have, I, there are things about church and Christianity that I've grown very weary of. I don't, I don't really have any passion for it. But let me tell you something, I am more passionate today than I ever have been in my life for knowing Jesus, loving my wife, and taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor. It wakes me up, it makes me prayerful, it keeps me focused, and I'm going to finish the race strong because this thing will not go away. And for that, I am very grateful. Amen. I want to pray for you. Would you all stand this morning? Stand up with me this morning. Now, I, one of the things I really love about you guys, and I, this is my fifth or sixth, de- fifth desperation conference to be in. I love how hungry you are and how quickly you respond to things. But I want to caution you this morning, okay? My goal this morning is not to have a full altar call. 
Because we can all ask questions that we all should respond to, and the whole front gets filled up, and we, it makes us all feel better. But that's not what I'm asking for today, okay? The worst thing that we can do for widows and orphans is to say that we will help and then not do it. The absolute worst thing is to give a widow or an orphan false hope based on good intentions but poor execution. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want you to be very careful about saying yes to this. If you say yes to this, I want it to be something that's so deep in you now. If it's maybe just stirring in you today and you know you feel moved by this, I, that's not, you're not the person I'm wanting to respond right now, okay? I want those of you who have already made up your mind that you don't, and you don't have, don't have to know all the details. I don't know how you're going to do it, and that's okay. I didn't know how I was going to be a part of it. But at 19 years old, I made up my mind that if I didn't get anything else right, I was going to get that right. I'm going to keep my heart unspotted from the world, and I was going to take care of the widows and the poor. When they started talking to me about hiring me here, when I, about this being coming a senior pastor at New Life Church, the first thing that I said to them, If we're not serious about the poor, I'm not your man. If you're not serious about the widows and the orphans, find someone else to pastor New Life Church. Because if I'm going to pastor New Life Church, we're going to be serious about the widows and the orphans. Or I can't be a part of it. I won't be a part of it. So that's 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 the intensity that I'm. If you that's in your heart today, if you've already made up your mind, like I did at 19 years old, that you don't know how it's going to happen, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I am committed to loving the people that are a concern to God. And let me tell you something, God's eyes right now are on the widows and the orphans and poor around the world. He will not take his eyes off of them. He is their defender. But if that's you today, I want you to step out. I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray together. Let's pray together. If that's you, you've already made up your mind. Don't do this unless you're serious. I've made up my mind. The widows, the orphans, and the poor are going to be the center of what I do. Loving God with all my heart, loving Jesus with all my heart, keeping my heart inspired for the world. But the mission of my life is going to be the widows and the orphans, the poor of this world. This does not replace, does not replace our love for you. In fact, it is a reflection of our love for Jesus. I want to pray together. And listen, let me, tell you, let me just say this as you're coming forward, okay? I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to paint for you a romantic idea of what this means. Let me just say, if you start taking care of widows and the orphans, it's the messiest thing you're ever going to do in your life, right? You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be taken advantage of. Please listen to what I'm saying, okay? Because I know a lot of young people have said, I'll take care of the poor. Well, let me tell you something. Some of the poor are very dysfunctional people. Some of them are strung out on drugs and they've learned how to manipulate and how to take things from you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to disappoint you, Okay? So that, that you just got to make up your mind already that you're going to have hurt and pain and disappointment and they're going to be messy. It's not romantic, okay? If you came forward saying, I'm Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa will tell you, all right? It was awful at times. We just took 50 orphans on a week-long camping trip from the El Paso County. Their first year to do it, two weeks ago, 50 kids that are orphaned. They're in the foster system because their parent, parental rights have been taken away. So they're orphans. And we funded it. We raised the money and took all 50 of them up in the mountains for a week-long camping experience at, at a, a camp. We had, we had very few restrictions. We could talk to them about Jesus. And we all said, man, what a great opportunity. Well, let me tell you, my, my friend had two little boys. We had one counselor for two little boys. I said, so tell me about it. Because I'm waiting for these romantic, awesome, cool stories. And there were, a bu- there were a bunch of them. He goes, well, the first three nights he threw up on me four times each night. 
because he was nervous about being away from home. So after I cleaned up vomit, you know, for the first three nights, he finally settled down and Thursday and Friday was awesome. I'm like, you know what? That's what we need to know going into this. (laughs) You might clean up vomit for three nights in a row, right? So I'm not, maybe some of you might want to go back to your seat now, I'm just saying, or not have lunch because I just grossed you out. But the point is, I want you to know what you're saying yes to, okay? We have women come to our medical clinic. They're taking advantage of us. We don't care. We just love them. Come on. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're here to be a blessing to our city. Whether they're lesbian, straight, poor, old, young, it doesn't matter. We're here to be a blessing to their, because they need it. Somewhere along the way, by loving them and caring for them, they see Jesus. Okay? That's what we're praying for today, all right? So take hands with each other right here. And no, listen, by, and by the way, you can't do this by yourself, and that's why I'm having you take hands. You cannot do this big thing that we're doing by ourselves. And the moment you find yourself isolated and alone, you're in a bad spot. So make sure you're always doing this with a team of people, with brothers and sisters, because right. you're going to need each other to encourage each other when you do these kind of things, because there's a lot of discouraging days ahead, okay? But let me tell you the good news. You're going to see the kingdom of heaven break in in a way that you've never seen the kingdom of heaven come in people's lives. You're going to see miracles that you would have never experienced if you had not stepped into this dangerous, risky assignment that God's calling you to. You're about to see people's lives radically, supernaturally, abundantly changed forever and ever. And you may not see your reward here, but when you get to heaven, now here's what you're going to hear. Well done. You didn't wait at the bus stop. You got busy being the resurrected Christ in your city. You got busy being a a man or a woman of the resurrection in your city. Well done. So Father in heaven, I just pray right now over the men and women that are standing here before me who are making a really bold choice today to say yes to what you've already said yes to. And I pray now in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus that you would continually fill them with the Holy Spirit. That your power and your grace and your mercy would be on display in their lives Unlike any time in their life, I pray as, they, as their heart today is wrecked for the widow, the orphan, and the poor, I pray now that you would guide them in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray that they would see the places of pain in their city and they would have the boldness and the courage and the resources from heaven to take small and then bigger steps to meeting those needs all around them. Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Father, thank you that pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this. To take care of the widow and the orphan and to keep our heart unspotted from the world. Father, that's our vow. That's our commitment. That's our heart for you today. And I pray now that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom as we go, as we are scattered around our country. May we go as the hands and the feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.